Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light Treasure Vault and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2015. We begin by speaking with David Nalieri about his new Knights of Columbus film, Guadalupe, The Miracle and the Message. And we reconnect with singer-songwriter Matthias Michael. In our second half hour, we're going to go back to December 2015 and speak with Tomas Insua of the Catholic Climate Movement. And we end the program by catching up with singer-songwriter Tori Harris, who has a new single, Coming Home. We begin now with Guadalupe, The Miracle and Message. I think it's safe to say that if you're a Catholic somewhere in the Americas, you know about Our Lady of Guadalupe. You probably have a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. But do you know that the Guadalupe apparitions are probably the most significant event in the evangelization of the New World? Do you know that the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is as scientifically intriguing and miraculous as the Shroud of Turin? Well, to tell us more... I spoke with David Nalieri, director of the new documentary, Guadalupe, The Miracle and the Message. David, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Maybe I should say welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour, because back in the day, I think you were probably on this show a few times, don't you think? Yeah, I think so, Paige. A lot of, lot of great memories, of course, working with you and being part of the Salt and Light team, and uh, it's great to be on with you. Thanks for allowing me to come on and talk a little bit about our film. Absolutely, and it's great that you're still doing you know, your passion making films. What, for people, I think most of our listeners are familiar with Our Lady of Guadalupe. They know a little bit of the story, but maybe can you give us a, a, the, 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 the one-paragraph summary? What, what is the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe? Yeah, well, in 1531, Pedro, uh, about 12 years after uh, Mexico or, or the Aztec Empire was conquered by the uh, Spanish colonists with Hernan Cortes, yeah. Uh, in 1531, Our Lady of Guadalupe um, was an American apparition, appeared four times to uh, Juan Diego, who was an indigenous person. And uh, in those appearances, unlike a lot of the other modern-day appearances where there's certain chastisements or certain warnings, she came simply as a mother. Yeah. And she asked that a chapel be built in her name, and she left her image in a miracle on the tilma or apron of yeah. Juan Diego. And that tilma still resides today at a shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And within seven years after that apparition, there were nine million conversions to the faith and really beginning of the transformation of the continent into a Christian civilization. So it's really had a transformative effect in that period of history. And still today, the devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe is so widespread and has had such a huge impact across the continent. Absolutely, yeah. Now, you said it was 15, 1530, 1531 or so. So how do you go about making a documentary about something that happened so long ago? There's no photos. There's no, you can't interview St. Juan Diego. So what is the, the focus of this documentary? How are you yeah, that's the Yeah, that's a great question, uh, uh, Pedro. And that, that's something I think we really tried to tackle by making a real top-notch documentary. And, and so the, the, the twin challenges of not having any video footage of that time period or any photos, yeah. um, and also to try to allow people to understand the real mysteries behind this image, that there's no real scientific explanation for how this image of Guadalupe right. still exists five centuries later, or how it would appear on this canvas. It, uh-huh. just, it defies skeptics and defies scientists. 
Um, so what we did was we used reenactments. So we yeah. traveled to Mexico City, hired actors, recreated the series of four apparitions, and yeah. Juan Diego, his experience going to the bishop and trying to explain these visions he's having, and then all of a sudden discovering that when he's asked to go and pick these flowers and put them in his tilma, that it leaves this uh, incredible image of Our Lady of Guadalupe that still stuns people to this day with its uh, beautiful colors. So we have reenactments mm-hmm. that are very well done. And then what we did was we used high-level um, 3D animations and graphics right. to take you into the image so that you can see all the mysteries in it. Um, for example, there's no real explanation as to how the paint can stay on the agave fibers, which it's made out of. Um, Typically, you would need a protective coat. That coat is missing. Secondly, um, you would need some kind of varnish to keep those colors on there, and that varnish is completely missing. And then the the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is a codex. Uh So the ancient Aztecs used pictorial manuscripts to teach each other the faith. So it was how they passed on their culture. And that's actually exactly what Our Lady of Guadalupe is. There's a lot of symbols in in the image that only an Aztec person can appreciate, Uh and those symbols are what helped lead them to Christianity. And so by using the 3D animations, we're able to kind of uh, zoom in and bring you into all these um, different illuminations and, and really hopefully allow viewers to have a much better understanding of, of the whole Guadalupe apparition. Absolutely. If I can add, because I've, I've seen it, it, actually the the reenactments and the animations are quite stunning. It really, it, you really bring the whole image to life and the whole story to life. So you, you've interviewed experts that are talking about the different aspects of the of the image on the tilma. Is that correct, David? Yeah, we have we, we kind of talk to historians, theologians to kind of get the historic significance, to understand um, what the significance of, of the apparition was uh, from a, even a theological understanding, and then also scientists. So we interviewed right. painting experts, um, physicists. Um, people who have studied the eyes, who are experts in digital image processing, who right. find images in both of the eyes that match up and correlate perfectly. So as as, as almost as if there was the image that she saw when she was imprinted right. on that tilma uh, remained in her eyes, and this defies also scientific explanation. So um, yeah, so the documentary really tries to be cutting edge. It tries to be something you might see on National Geographic or Discovery, while at the same time also weaving in that that deep spiritual element that hopefully uh, people can understand that um, uh, this is something beyond what you might ordinarily see in a scientific channel. There's also something there with the heart, something that had the potential to convert 9 million natives and transform the new, the, the new world Absolutely. And, and continue to be a source for transforming culture. Absolutely, because I imagine that your goal is not just to tell a, a fascinating story, but you also want to add that extra dimension that is going to draw people into the faith. If, if this, these apparitions brought people not to Mary necessarily, but, but to Christ then how do you do that in a documentary film that that it's also going to give people that extra that extra depth yeah exactly well i think i think for me the the goal is that um and people people come away and learn something new and it opens their eyes and for me myself delving into the story i had kind of a cursory understanding of our lady of guadalupe but uh getting more into it i was just uh, really fascinated to learn and understand that you know in 1531 we didn't have the United States of America or Canada or Argentina and these other nations. So the New World, what was the New World, yeah. really stretched from Argentina all the way up to the tip of Alaska. Yes. And that was the New World. So when she came and she appeared to those indigenous people, um, she really came as the mother of all of us. And that's something John Paul II taught about, taught us all in his 
um, in his um, Ecclesia in America document where he talked about our entire continent as being one, united in one, and, mm-hmm. and her being the mother of us all. So that was one thing that I really took to heart. And the second thing that really struck me, and we talked about it a bit in the film, is, is the whole idea of human sacrifice, which is part of the yes. Aztec culture. Yes. And the apparition comes in 1531. And then we, in the film, we, we talk about 13 years later in 1544 with this tremendous drought, one of the worst droughts in the history of Mexico. And at that time in the Aztec culture, if there was a drought, there would be a mass sacrifice of young children. And yes. this is how they thought they would appease the gods and the rains would come. And instead, in 1544, uh, just a little bit over a decade after the apparition, we see a mass pilgrimage to uh, the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe instead of the sacrifice. And that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty startling. That, that tells you the culture has been transformed yes. in such a short period of time. And that should inspire all of us, since our work as Christians is to try to be the leaven in society and transform the culture. Yes. Now, the producers of the film are the Knights of Columbus. I think most people who know the Knights, a lot of our listeners are Knights, they know the Knights of Columbus, but they don't know that the Knights of Columbus are, are also producing films. So what's the connection between the Knights of Columbus and Our Lady of Guadalupe? Yeah, well, Supreme Knight Carl Anderson has a real passion for the media. He has a real passion for transforming culture and recognizes that, you know, media and film is a great way to, to bring important messages to the general public mm-hmm. and to also try to do it in as dynamic and engaging a way as possible. And he also um, kind of harkens back to my other answers, but he also recognizes the importance of Our Lady of Guadalupe as a source of unity. So we have a real growing Hispanic population in the United States and other regions. Mm-hmm. And this is a way that we can learn from, from their history and understand that it's also part of, of our legacy. It's also part of our faith, uh, faith journey. Um, so when I, the idea of Our Lady of Guadalupe as being the mother of us all, uh, for the Knights of Columbus, it's an international organization. We really work to try to spread devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, whether it be in the Philippines, where she's the patron saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Poland, even, we see a growing devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and the Knights of Columbus has, has, is starting to really grow in Poland, where we entered into in the last recent years, and then, of course, throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Um, and in our documentary, we actually interviewed Cardinal Lacroix, Uh, Quebec City, who shared his own passion and devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and interviewed Honorable Graydon Nicholas, who was a former lieutenant governor of New Brunswick, who's got a tremendous devotion to Guadalupe and and travels across Canada spreading devotion. So we really tried to show that this is something uh, universal, something that's applicable to all, and it really fits into the mission of the Knights. Yeah. Now, also in the film, and I believe he's also one of the producers, you interviewed uh, Monsignor Chavez, who is the postulator for the cause of canonization for... uh, St. Juan Diego, but he's also, can I say that he's the prime expert on the image? Absolutely. I don't think there's anyone in this world who, who knows more than, tell, than, than Monsignor Chavez, and he's a very impressive us. guy. We, when we interviewed him, Pedro, down in at the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City, the interview was over three hours long, and yes. it felt as if he didn't stop to take a breath. There's so much knowledge, and, and one thing to mention to viewers, people who really want to learn more about Guadalupe on the DVD, if they did purchase it, and it's available now at GuadalupeTheFilm.com. We have an extended interview with Monsignor Chavez, where yes. he talks a lot more about the different intricacies of the image and of the Guadalupe legacy. Absolutely. He's, he's a phenomenal... I've heard him speak probably for three hours, too, on the, on the, on the image, and it is quite fascinating. He's a fascinating man so the film is done it's available as you said on dvd people can get it at that website uh guadalupe film guadalupe the film.com but it's also available 
uh, on Amazon, I know, and other places. Um, but the film will also be airing on television, correct, in the United States? Yes, we're very happy to have been selected part of the Visions and Values series that's, uh, that airs uh, religious and faith-based programming on ABC uh, uh-huh. Network in the United States. So we're really happy that um, starting in earlier... Th- in October, stretching until December the 10th, um, ABC affiliates will be choosing at different times uh, to air the documentary. So anyone listening now who wants to know if their ABC affiliate um, has already or will air the documentary, they can go to GuadalupeTheFilm.com. We have a tab for broadcasts, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a drop-down menu where you choose your state, and you can see your affiliate and see uh, if they're going to air at what time. And um, we're hoping to get about 150 of the 240-some-odd ABC affiliates to air it. Um, and then when that ends in around December 10th, we'll, we'll be announcing a ser- series of other airings on EWTN, Salt and Light, uh, Catholic yes. TV, and other, and other Catholic TV networks. So Absolutely. hopefully there's a lot of different ways viewers can engage with this film. And, and as you mentioned, it is already for sale. The DVD's been released uh, simultaneously. Yes. And uh, that, that's all, all the information is there on GuadalupeTheFilm.com. Absolutely. So just in time for the, our Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, December 12th. I know maybe some parishes want to have the DVD ready and do little showings in their parishes. David, thank you for doing this. It's a beautiful film. Uh, you, well, you know this. I've told you this. It, it's very well done. I, I'm very thank proud you. of you. <laughs> thank you very much, Pedro. And thank it. you for sharing, sharing a little bit of, of, about it with us today. Awesome. Thank you, Pedro, and I appreciate the time. David Nalieri is the director of the film Guadalupe, The Miracle and the Message, produced by the Knights of Columbus. The DVD is also available in English and in Spanish. Learn more at GuadalupeTheFilm.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Matthias Michael, with I Will Never Let Go from his new album, Amplified. I will never know the depths of your love And I will never understand how you see me And even when I lose my way, you pick me up When I fall down, you never leave me You're always with me
That was Matthias Michael with I Will Never Let Go from his new album, Amplified. Now, we first learned about Matthias Michael a few years ago because he was the winner of the very first NCYC's Top Talent contest. Now, he's probably tired of being introduced that way, and I'm sorry. Um, Winning that competition meant that Matthias got to record his first album, I believe. And that's when he first began considering pursuing music as a career and we're glad he did earlier this year matthias released his first single song of grace um, that you've heard on this program and on salt and light radio and immediately he set out to work on his next album that album is the one that we've been listening to amplified and to tell us more i am now joined by matthias michael matthias welcome back to the salt and light hour Hello, hello. Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. It's good to be back. Yes. So you've been busy this year. Um, what? I, I, I guess this is two separate questions, but kind of what changed for you this year? Um, maybe that's the first question. What changed for you this year that kind of set you on the, on this path that you're on right now? Well, um, I started working with a um, a new, brand new grassroots record company that um, was kind of started up by a few friends of mine. Uh-huh. Um, and we really kind of, uh, tried to take all the, the musical ideas that I've kind of gathered since the last album and really make them come to life. And we've included people from all over, um, actually the Chicago area musicians to, to kind of come together and play on this album. So it was a real big collaboration, which is really neat. I was able to work, um, with fellow musicians, whereas my first album, I was kind of doing a lot of things um, on my own or just with the producer. Right. This time I was able to work with other people, which is really, really nice. So, uh, so okay, so again, I have like three questions. But so you wrote Song of Grace thinking that it was going to be part of this album or was that a, a single, purely a single that you wrote? Well, I, yeah, I, I kind of had an idea that there'd be an album in the future. I just didn't quite know how I was going to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where Rekindle Records came into play when I right. just said a couple friends of mine, you know, offered to, to volunteer some time to start this new ministry and to get the ball rolling on that. Song of Grace is kind of the first taste of all that new music. It was kind of um, the first taste of, of a new sound for me, of a new kind of a new beginning right. uh, of sorts. So. So it was definitely a precursor. I knew that there was an album coming. Yeah. Um, I just didn't know when yet. <laughs> right. No, of course. So when you, so I, either when you're working on Song of Grace or afterwards when you're actually now specifically working, you know you're going to uh, make a new album. Are you, 
because it sounds like you're also doing you're also thinking like a producer and not just a, a, a songwriter you are working with a producer but how does that process uh how is that process for you in terms of um kind of writing and thinking about doing an album as a whole right it, it was a big change for me um because uh you know as a songwriter, I mean, I've been writing songs ever since I was little. Yeah. And I never really ran them through anybody. I mean, it was just kind of something I did for fun. And yes. That, now that I have somebody to kind of present those songs to and they can give me some real feedback yeah. and kind of perfect them and make them the most, you know, effective songs they can be and make make them songs that will really connect with people. You know, it's always just good to have more hands in the pot when yeah. it comes to creating a song. Uh-huh. And the, the writing process for you, you said you've been writing songs since you were little. Do you, has that changed at all? Um, Not too much, to be honest. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that's kind of how I learned to pray. Um, uh -huh. It's always kind of been my unique way to pray. And every so often, I'll, I'll, I'll write a prayer or a song, and I'll think, wow, I think somebody else could really connect to that. I think somebody else could really relate to that. And that that's usually the beginning of a new song for me. Okay, good. I'm glad that you mentioned prayer, because I was going to ask you, is, is the writing process uh, a prayerful... Because you're not writing songs that I think people would listen and, th and think, oh, that's a Christian song, or that's a praise and worship song. Right. Um, but they are... In, in, you get kind of glimpses of, of that prayerfulness or that... So... It, so you pray yourself through writing a song? Do you sit down and say, I'm going to write a song, and so you pray? Or, or do you, <laughs> how do you do that? Sometimes they just come, they, they, like you said, in the songs, they don't necessarily sound like praise and worship songs, but they're about, in ways, real-life experiences I've had and you know how my faith has kind of played a role in that right. and how my relationship with God has played a role in those experiences, even good experiences or bad experiences. Right. And, you know, when I experience like a spiritual high or a spiritual low, my first instinct is to kind of go and write about it. And that's, right. that's kind of, um, that's kind of what the whole Amplified album is. It's kind uh -huh. of the, the culmination of all those highs and lows, um, in the forms of songs, um, and prayers. At the same uh -huh. time. All right. Okay. And and so you it's amplified is this f the is is the first song on the album. It's the first song we heard at the top of the program today. Um, it, does that word amplified? Does that kind of summarize not just what the album is about, but kind of where you are in your life spiritually? Totally. Totally. I'm more and more. Um, the more I travel, I, I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to travel to many different parts of the country and even yeah. internationally sometimes. And it's been amazing to see the difference in 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 the in the voice the difference yeah. um in the strength when people are when people decide to come together and worship instead of kind of staying in their own little world yeah you know um being like i said being able to travel into all these different areas being able to see the church at work together has been a beautiful thing and amplify kind of personifies that yeah, yeah, no, and you can hear it. Um, do you, do you, it's kind of a weird question to ask people, how do you hope people are going to use your album? I mean, obviously you want them to listen to it, but it's kind of album that I think people, you can pop in the car and listen to it in right. the car. Um, well, actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, again, I tell people it's it's an album, you know, that I want the listener to relate to. Yeah. And to, to help them do that even more, um, actually, Rekindle uh, Records and I have been working on uh, a 49-day devotional that kind of outlines the album. It goes hand in hand with the album. It complements it. Yeah. And it allows people to kind of dive into those lyrics a little deeper. Um, 
and really uh, milk every bit of the message they can. Okay, that's good. I'm, and I'm, again, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you mentioned it because that goes right back to what you were saying about prayer. So uh, can you give us a little example of how the devotional works? So is it 40, it's a, something about one of the songs every day? How, sure, how does yeah. that work? So what we did is we broke each song down into uh, seven parts. And that's for each song we spend a week. So it goes day by day. Uh-huh. Um, and for every part of the song, um, we have a scripture that goes with it, and we have a personal reflection and a prayer. So day by day, you can kind of we're, we kind of broke down um, the lyrics of the songs and related it back to a scripture message, uh-huh. and we give some words of encouragement, and even some of the days have a little personal story from me. So like I said, it, it really allows the listener to kind of not just superficially listen to the album, but to really dive in and get the most out of all the songs have to offer. Yeah, that's very cool, actually. It's a great idea. Um, so uh, uh, it seems to me, I, may, I might be wrong, but it seems to me that you're kind of moving, and you have been this year, kind of pursuing doing ministry full-time. Um, this is part of that ministry. You're not just doing music, but you want to help people get closer to God through your music and through your ministry. Right, right. And that was, from the get-go, that was that was my number one priority. That was my number one goal. And, you know, God God gives us with uh, with different talents, and for me, that was music. Um, and yeah. I always knew I wanted to, to give back to him in that way. So through the book and through the music has been a really good opportunity for me to do that. Okay, that's very cool. I'm actually, I didn't know about the 49-day devotion. I like that, 7 times 7. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm looking forward to, to my personal copy of the 49-day yeah, devotional. It'll be out hopefully, um, hopefully by the National Catholic East Conference, which is... Uh, it's coming up, isn't it? in the yeah. middle of this month. That we're yeah, to get it out. it's coming up. Good, good. So just in time for Christmas, too. There you go. Some some Christmas gift ideas for people. Get the album <laughs> and the devotional. Um, Matthias, thank you very much. This is very cool. I love the music. Like I said, I, I actually have it in my car listening to it. So, um, awesome. uh, And very much looking forward to uh, more things coming from you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Deacon. You can learn more about Matthias Michael by his music, book him for an event, or find out where he'll be performing next at his website, mmichaelmusic.com. Here now is Matthias Michael with Live Out Loud from this new album, Amplified. Listening to Matthias Michael with Live Out Loud from his album Amplified. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org/radio. 
Now, we go to the Paris Climate Conference of December 2015. It seems that everyone is speaking about climate change. Well, partly that's because all this week and next week, leaders from around the world are gathered in Paris for COP21, which is the short form for the 21st Conference of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. The event is part of an ongoing process to have all 195 countries of the United Nations do what they can do to help prevent climate change from spiraling out of control. We all know about Pope Francis's encyclical on the care for creation, so we know that the Church has something to say about caring for creation. But does the Church have something specific to say about climate change? To tell us, earlier this week I spoke with Tomas Insua, coordinator of the Global Catholic Climate Movement. Thomas, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, we're happy to, to talk with you. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure that our listeners, they've never heard of the Global Catholic Climate Movement. In fact, I know that a year ago that did not even exist. So what is the Global Catholic Climate Movement? Great. So yes, in fact, this, is, this movement is only 10 months old. <laughs> so we only launched... Uh, our campaign and movement in January this year. Yes. And basically what we're doing is responding to the Pope's call uh, on climate change. Okay. Um, as, as you well know, I mean, the Pope is very vocal on climate change lately, most prominently the encyclical, of course, which lays the foundation for uh, ecological engagement of the whole Catholic Church. Uh, but also, I mean, he has... I mean, the past few weeks, actually, or past few months, yes. he has had several really strong statements on climate change. The last one being, I don't know if you heard it, when but he in, in his Africa. trip back, yeah, that he said that uh, we were about to commit suicide uh, with climate change. Yes. So he's he's getting really vocal, and we're basically, the, the GCCM, the Global Catholic Climate Movement, is working to put into action, I mean, to turn this Pope's... Uh, messages into action from the grassroots of the of the church okay and you called it a campaign so it's a what's it it's uh, no it's a movement, yeah sorry it's a that, that was not, not really appropriate it's it's a movement it's a coalition of catholic organizations uh, which in 2015 had a a, a campaign which okay. was the catholic climate petition campaign okay okay uh, which was our yes. main thing in 2015 okay so 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 the the Catholic Climate Petition was a campaign that this movement, the Catholic, the Global Catholic Correct. Climate Movement, had. So, are there other things that you're doing like that campaign as, that are part of sort of your action uh, action items that you're doing as in the movement? Yes. Well, so we have several things. Uh, the, the the petition was and is will continue to be the main one. Okay. Uh, but there are many other related. The first one, of course is simply promoting the Laudato Si encyclical. Okay. Uh, this is such an important... I mean, every encyclical, of course, is important. Yes. Uh, and this one is especially important because it's the first one entirely about ecology. Yes. So our one of our core uh, goals is to make sure that every Catholic... We're 1.2 billion Catholics, so we have lots of Catholics. We have a lot of work ahead. Yes. But we want to make sure that every Catholic reads this very important document. So I would encourage the audience uh, to spend some time, spend a, a few hours yes. uh, this coming weekend and spend some time with that beautiful document. Yeah, and, well, yes. it's not only that. It's We have several other things. Uh, 
ranging from a greening of our congregations. So uh-huh. we have to start by putting into practice uh, this encyclical by reducing our carbon footprint, starting with our congregations. So our parishes uh, and overall Catholic institutions have a lot of work to do in terms of going green and reducing our carbon footprint uh, and, so, and so on and so forth. And also on mobilizing, uh, we know that climate change is a political problem uh, that is such a big problem because politicians, unfortunately, haven't cared about the issue. Yeah. Uh, so we really need to put pressure on our, on our politicians and say that the Catholic community stands with Pope Francis and asks for urgent and bold climate action. Absolutely. So you mentioned also that it's a, it's a coalition of various groups around the world. Like, what can you give me an example of what groups are part of your movement? Sure. Like in the so states or in Canada? It, currently, we're about three hundred Catholic organizations. Yeah. And there are all sorts of of groups uh, or institutions that are members. So, yes. for example, uh, in Canada, it's. Uh, a partner is uh, Development and Peace, right, uh, which is the charitable uh, agency of the Canadian of the, Church. Yes. Yep. And in the U.S., there are several, ranging from Catholic Charities right. to the Catholic Climate Covenant, which is the U.S. Yes. bishops. Yes. Uh, and and um, yeah. and also, I mean, many other uh, smaller groups, religious congregations, and so I mean, for example, the Francis Can Action Network. Yes. Uh, all kind of institutions. Okay, and it's worldwide. Um, uh, the, I think anybody who's read the encyclical, I think it's clear that that encyclical is not just about climate change. It's very much about you know the care for creation. There's a lot of issues that the Pope handles in the encyclical. Why focus only on climate change and not on the larger message of caring for you know integral ecology as a whole? Yeah, I mean, we encourage everybody to care about it integral ecology as a whole, eh, of course. Yes. Eh, but we, we, we choose just to focus on climate change for two main reasons. One is that there's so many ecological issues that we have to work on that we simply, I mean, us as a coalition of organizations, we, I mean, many of our member organizations are working many other environmental issues as well. Eh, okay. But if we want to make a difference, eh, we need to be focused on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the single biggest environmental issue today is climate change. I mean, it's by far the, the largest and more problematic because it's so interrelated with so many other issues. Um, so it's just of a matter of focus. Uh, of course, we encourage everybody to take action. I mean, there's so many other environmental problems that we need to, to, to work on. But another important distinction is that many of the other environmental problems usually are local, Right. Uh, so it's it. I mean, in terms of a global coalition, it makes sense to work on this global problem, which is climate change, and we need everybody to take action right. on the pollution of a river, for example. It's the local yes. uh, community that has to take action on that. Yeah, absolutely. Now you are in Paris right now for COP twenty one for the UN climate conference. Uh, is the church in at that conference in an official capacity as a as an observer of the United Nations? Uh, oh, how, what is the church's involvement with the with the conference? Yeah, that's correct. So the church is present in uh, mainly through the Holy See delegation yeah. as an official of service state. Uh, so the Holy oh, See yeah. has a delegation here in Paris. Yeah, and then there there's the the delegations 
of uh, Caritas, Caritas Internationalis, yeah. uh, and CITSE, which is the the coalition of Catholic development agencies, both have the uh, delegations here, and us, GCCM, also have uh, a group of member organizations who are here in Paris. And when you say that but, you're... So, sorry, go ahead. Were you going to... Uh, I was going to yeah, say I mean, the, the official one would be, would be the Holy, Holy See delegation. Uh, yeah, yeah, because they're an ob- observer me- observer member of the United Nations. Um, Correct. But as uh, when you say that you're there, so the GCCCM, Global Catholic Climate Movement, you're there as participants, as observers. Do you have a voice? How? Do, how? What is your involvement with the actual uh, COP twenty one conference? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the 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 COP this COP conference. It's a huge thing. So it's not only what happens in the actual negotiations. It's also about the many other events, side events, all around Paris happening at the same time. The whole climate world. I mean, all organizations that have something to do with climate change are here in Paris this two weeks. So there are lots of, I mean, we're mainly engaging in the agenda outside the official negotiations. I mean, we also attend the negotiations where mm-hmm. we're, we're there, but mainly it's about the events happening outside. It's about, uh, there are lots of forums and civil society, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, discussion tables and so on. We're mainly participating on that. Right. No, and it sounds like if, if I got anything from Laudato Si, the Pope's encyclical, is that this the only way that we can ta- tackle this issue and all ecological issues, but this one in particular is through dialogue, through coming together, it's not just a political issue, it's not just an economical issue, it's not just social, but everybody has to come together, scientists, religious leaders, and it sounds like that's kind of what's happening in Paris right now. That's, ex- that's totally correct, yes. That's, that's very exciting. It's, it's, uh, um, exciting must be exciting for you to be, able to be part of this. Yeah, totally. And, and also, most importantly, uh, what brought us here to Paris is that three day, um, a few days ago on Saturday, the Saturday right before the conference on November 28th, we had a very nice interfaith event here in Paris uh-huh. uh, in which we delivered uh, our petition signatures. I mentioned our petition signatures, which I encourage the audience to sign online. You can, you can look at our website uh, you can Google the Global Catholic Climate Movement, and you'll find our petition. Yeah, We're, we have, and we came here to Paris to bring our petition signatures. We collected a eight hundred and forty thousand beautiful signatures, so it's close to a million signatures, uh-huh. which is a lot uh, uh-huh. given the short time frame since launch and so on. And we put the campaign together, so one almost one million Catholics have spoken on climate change and have asked governments here in Paris to take action. So we had this event in Paris where we delivered this petition to get signatures together, and this is the most, the most beautiful part, is in coalition with other faith-based organizations. Uh-huh. So Excellent. there were four faith-based campaigns, so like there's the ACT Alliance, which is similar to us, it's sort of a coalition of Protestant Christian churches, and organizations, and two other faith-based organizations, and we brought together about one, almost two million signatures Excellent. that we delivered to the French government, who preside the the COP21, yes. and to the UN uh, climate chief Christiana Figueres. Okay. Um, so 
So good. So yeah, we also came for that. Excellent. So it sounds like like you're doing good work. Um, uh, thank you for what you're doing and for sharing it with us. And and I'll we'll put that link on our site so people can find that petition easily and you can continue uh, uh, gathering signatures. Thomas, thank you very much for uh, being with us today. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Have a good day. That was a conversation I had with Thomas Insua, the coordinator of the Global Catholic Climate Movement from Paris earlier this week. You can find out more about their work at their website, catholicclimatemovement.global. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Tori Harris, featured in the new single by the band South by North, Coming Home. I am the prodigal who set out on her own Left behind a love that I disowned I filled my soul on wine Dance through the darkest night that I'd ever known. And when the light of dawn arrived, it burned my eyes. I awoke to find my soul had caught on fire. When the smoke cleared, I'd see that I had been deceived. And I Never fell so My 
That was Tori Harris with Coming Home, featuring the band South by North. Now, in the last couple of years, we've come across a lot of wonderful and talented new young Catholic artists who are writing excellent music, and one of them is Tori Harris. We met the Nashville-based artist a few years ago as she was just starting her career, and now this career is really taking off. Recently, she wrote a song, the song we just heard, Coming Home, Uh, with the band South by North and ended up recording her vocal as the lead on the record. Um, the song is inspired by the Year of Mercy, which is beginning this coming Tuesday. So, to tell us more about it, I am happy to welcome Tori Harris back to our program. Tori, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So, before I ask you about coming home, the song... Um, I don't even know. I'm thinking it's more than a year that we last spoke. So what have you been doing 2015? The one-minute recap. The one-minute recap. Thank you. Uh, 2015 marked my, I think, my second-slash-third full-time year of, of doing music. Amazing. Traveling on the road. Yeah. Uh, I spent about four months in New York City. I uh, spent a lot of time at St. Patrick's Cathedral playing a couple masses for Cardinal Dolan. Really? Uh, nice. Yeah, I played as far from California to Texas to New York City. Um, right now, uh, I'm in Dallas, and I'm probably hoping to stay here just for a little while. Okay. Kind of basing out of, out of Dallas, working uh, working on a new program in conjunction with the Archdiocese of New York. So it's really neat, a lot of fun. <laughs> you're, wor- you're in Dallas um, working on a project with the Archdiocese of New York. Well, you know, it's... Actually, wait. So let's let's keep recapping the year. Um, yeah. Okay. I had a song in a movie this year. Yeah. Oh, cool. That was really fun. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh. And then this Christmas, it, so it's the third year. So in January, this movie came out called Hoovy, uh, and a song of mine called Believe is is featured in the film. Uh huh. And Believe. then at the end of the year, so this November, uh, Vital Worship, which is a Day One Records project, released a Christmas song. Yeah. Of mine. So that'll be sold in stores, which I'm really excited about. Um, that's amazing. Anyway, is that amazing? Project. Sorry, is that amazing huh? love? That, yeah, yeah, that's amazing love. Okay, we heard it at the beginning of the program. Yeah, it's a nice song. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. Cool. I'm really excited about it. So you've been busy. Can and I? So, sorry, go ahead. Huh? I keep interrupting you. Go <laughs> ahead. Um, but yeah, no, to ask about Archdiocese New York, basically what it is is um, it's probably more fair to say that there are priests in the Archdiocese. We've been working on, um, I, I don't know if you know this, but 2017 is going to mark the 50th year of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Oh, yes. Which, I, yeah, you know, I actually, like, honestly, I think there's, it's really divisive, the camps uh, mm, among yeah. American Catholics. There are those who are like, oh, for the renewal, and they're like, oh, this is great, this is amazing. And there are Catholics who are like, this is weird, yeah. and I don't understand it, and I think it's dangerous, and yes. um, right, it's emotional. So. It's, it's really interesting, the dynamics between the two groups. So I've been working with uh, some really cool priests, uh, and we've been assimilating, like, what, what actually does the Church officially say about the renewal? Um, okay. Like, is it good? Is it bad? And if it's good, and these gifts are good, how can an ordinary lay Catholic use it and still be obedient? How do we correct some of the mistakes in the renewal, and how do we encourage the positive things? Nice. And so we ended up putting together... Um, this little book. It's like a catechesis uh-huh. on the Holy Spirit. Um, I just heard last week um, that I'm pretty sure that we're getting a Neil Obstad on it, and so the next step will be an imprimatur. Excellent. And so it'll be considered like good wow. and awesome. What the <laughs> heck? Which is, so why you... I'm in, which is why I'm in Dallas, because we're, we're actually testing it. We have a school of discipleship 
So we're just taking like ordinary Catholics, um, and I mean like truly, truly ordinary. So like stay-at-home yeah, yeah, moms, yeah. soccer nice. moms, uh, businessmen, students, uh, and we're we're teaching them in a very kind of like clinical way. Uh, like who is the Holy Spirit? What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Like how do you grow in the gifts? But how do you practice them in a way that's still obedient to the church? Um, wow. And it's it's really exciting. That is very exciting. Uh, and that's kind of why I'm basing in Dallas right now. Okay, all that that's very good. I'm glad I asked you that why you were in Dallas, because um, I want to know more about that, and that'll be a good excuse to bring you back on the program. Um, <laughs> but but I want to ask you about about working with South by North. So you wrote this song. Yeah. It's called Coming Home. It's based on the Prodigal Son, but you're saying that it was inspired by the Year of Mercy. Tell me about that. Well, for me. Uh, the year of mercy is uh, like the question is like what is mercy, uh-huh. and I think that um, mercy is it's different from forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But but as I was I was like meditating on God's mercy, what actually brought up and what it stirred up in my own heart as I was trying to prepare for the year of mercy. You know, because as a musician, it's like all right, well, what am, how am I going to tour next year, and like yes. what will we what will we talk about, and how can we create fresh and dynamic content? And as I'm meditating on the year of mercy, this idea of shame was really, really strong in yeah. my heart and in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that uh, I was just really struck in prayer with just, like, how sinful we are. And, and maybe I, I could be, like, a little scrupulous sometimes, but um, that's kind of really what was, was going through my head, is this idea that, like, God forgives. And so um, at the time uh, when I wrote the song, Joel had come over. We were going to do a co-write together. And mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I was telling Joel, I was, like, really wrestling with this whole idea of just feeling so unworthy of God's love and so unworthy of His forgiveness. And Joel's like, well, why? And I start, like, confessing to Joel, like, what <laughs> my sins are. Yes. Uh, you know, and he's like, Tori, like, there's nothing that you could do that would, like, keep you from God's love. And I'm like, I know. I know there's nothing I could do that could keep me from God's love, but but why would God love me? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I was just in that, like, that, that, that dark, dark, dark place. And um, and Joel made this this comment about the prodigal son and how like, at the end, just, like, imagining this image of, like, the, the Father, God the Father, like, just putting His hands on the Son's face and lifting the Son's face up and saying, like, my beloved Son, mm-hmm. you are welcome. Um, and just the image was just, uh, man, it just brought yeah. such consolation, because I just felt so unworthy. Um, and so we, we just sat down and we wrote that song, and, and the song is, like, that emotion of, um, like, Lord, like, I'm selfish, and I've given into the world, and I'm not worthy. Like, there's nothing that I could ever do that would make me worthy of your forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, and then and then in the bridge, it's just, it's like it's, the Lord just kind of disregards. He's like, it's not about your worthiness, yeah, you know? Yeah, It's absolutely. about who I am Yeah. And, and my love for you and what I do for you. Yeah, that's such an important... I'm so excited about the Year for Mercy, because I think it's a kind yeah. of thing... Yeah, because there's so much that we can do to practice mercy and be merciful and receive mercy, whereas with, like, yeah. the Year for Consecrated Life, yeah, we can... What do we do? I don't know. Yeah, what do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're a deacon, so it's different. <laughs> it, kind of, yes. So, um, quickly, because um, I don't know if... You, uh, the, the, the Divine Mercy Prayer, is that part of your kind of prayer life? Is that a prayer that really speaks to you? Or are you on, a, uh, on, this, on you know, this mercy that, journey? That's a great question. I mean, I actually wrote a musical version of the Divine Mercy oh, Chaplet. Really? I'm happy to send it to you. It's yes. eight minutes long. I want to hear it. Yes. Really yes. <laughs> I want to hear it. Good. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, 
you know, so, so whenever I'm in a, like, when I'm playing for youth groups and they're like, oh, we really want to continue devotion to the Divine Mercy, like, I'll, I'll play that chaplet. Um, though, honestly, like, I have to really honest with you, uh, certain devotions, I just kind of go through seasons. Yes. So there was this season of my life where I was praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day, and yes. then I transitioned into a season where it was the rosary every yes. day, and then a season where I was like super scrupulous, and I was like all four rosaries every day. Oh, jeez. Okay, yeah. I haven't done <laughs> um, that season yet, yeah. but yeah. Good. <laughs> what was it? It was a short season. It was like two months. And then now, um, <laughs> for, for Advent, my spiritual like devotional resolution was I'm doing, doing morning prayer, I'm doing evening prayer, and I'm going to daily Mass, and I'm like... Good for you. You know, so... But maybe it's for the Year of Mercy. I mean, it starts starts next week. Maybe yeah. maybe it's something I need to pick up just for the year. Absolutely. I, and But don't stop doing morning and evening prayer. That's my devotion. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's, that's the <laughs> one to do. You. Listen, um, this is very cool. Um, you are... I know, and we're actually going to listen to a track that hopefully it's not on an album yet, but it will be on an album. So I know that at one point, maybe next year, you'll have a new album, and I'm excited about that. So uh, thank you for doing, and we will bring you back to talk about your little Holy Spirit charismatic booklet thing that I would love to read as well. So you have <laughs> well, a lot. Thank of, you so much. You have a lot of things to send me. I okay, you bet. Not a problem. Okay, God bless. Happy Advent. Happy Advent to you as well. God bless you. You can learn all about Tori Harris at her website, toriharris.com. And here now is Tori Harris with a yet-to-be-released song. Never Letting Go. Well, if I count my sin, it's greater than the stars. You know my faults, God. You know my heart. listening to Tori Harris with Never Letting Go. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Any comments or feedback or questions, you can send them to me via Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. Love me, you see my anxious thoughts and breathe.
I vow I would not lose the fight.